0: Well, Christmas uh, is all about the doctrine of the Incarnation, right? God becoming man, the Word becoming flesh. That's what we sing about in the the songs that that we're singing uh, each Sunday during the season of Advent. That's what we sing in in songs like Hark the Herald Angels Sing, right? In the second verse of that, that song, we find these words. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate Deity. Right? Our passage today brings this, this doctrine of the Incarnation front and center in, in glorious and lofty ways. Uh, we could really spend our lives, and, and I'm not just saying this, we could spend our lives, we could spend eternity marveling at the wonder and the depth of the gospel in these words right? Uh, Marveling at the wonder and the depth of the love of God expressed to us in the coming of Christ that is captured in this passage. There is so much here, uh, so much that should absolutely transform our lives, not just at Christmas time, but for all of our days, Uh, So let's dig into this passage that we're looking at today It so wonderfully describes this glorious doctrine of the incarnation and so beautifully declares to us, Jesus is God. Uh, We're in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. I invite you to turn there in your Bibles and, and stand with me for the reading of God's word. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, uh, we, we do have copies of the Bible out by the connection table. We'd love to give one of those to you as a gift today on your way out. So stop by there if you need one. Uh, we will love to get you God's Word, and get it into your hands. Colossians 1 15 through 20. Hear the Word of the Lord. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we are so grateful uh, for your sovereign, marvelous, incredible plan That you set in motion before the foundation of the world to send your son, the eternal word who spoke all things into existence, who sustains all things by the power of his word, to send him to take on flesh, to be born in the most humble way, to live in our place, to die in our place, to, to rise victorious in our place over sin and death Thank you for your great love for us, and and by your Spirit, we we ask that you open our hearts to capture and to, to grasp, even in a small way today, in an increasing way today, the wonder of the incarnation, the wonder of your love for us, that you would go to such lengths to redeem and rescue us and reconcile us to yourself. We pray that as we think upon these things, that they wouldn't just become nostalgic and and just kind of pass us by with so many other things of of this season but the lord that would really sit with us that it would transform our lives in every way to live for your glory we pray this in jesus name and all god's people said amen you may have a seat You see this glorious doctrine of the incarnation described in such thrilling and glorious ways in this passage. From the very outset, right? From the very first words in verse 15, we get right to it. Paul, the apostle Paul writing this, gets right to it. Jesus is God. He is God. He is the image of the invisible God, All right, That's not saying that he's a hologram That's saying that to see see Jesus is to see God, his person, his attributes. He he is God. Many people, though, the the very next line want want to push back. Ah, ah, but it says he's the firstborn of all creation. So he's not really God, right? But he's just the first thing, the first one that God created. But that's not actually what that phrase is saying. First off, that that sort of reading ignores, right, the immediate context of the entire passage, which in every part declares Jesus is God. He is the creator and the sustainer of all things. It's not questioning that. It's just like, this is fact. Here it is. Secondly, if you dig into the Greek of that phrase, the firstborn Of all creation, the original language of the text, the meaning of the phrase firstborn of all creation is actually saying that Jesus existed before all of creation. That he pre exists everything that we see, which actually makes more sense with what comes next. He existed before creation because he's God, he's eternal. For by him all things, Paul says, were created. Jesus is God. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the creator of all things. Everything that was created was created through him and for him. Meaning that anything that, that has a beginning has its beginning in Jesus. So that, so that he couldn't himself possibly have had a beginning. He was not created. He is eternal. He always is. He always has been. He always will be. That's who he is. Now, Jesus isn't like a step down from God the Father. He's not like JV, Junior Varsity God. Uh, He's fully God, right? As we read in verse 19, For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell what I said earlier about how we could spend eternity marveling at these words, but that is what I'm talking about right there in that verse. For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It's truly fascinating what, what this is saying. You see the fact that, that as Christians, we, we, we worship a triune God, right? One God who is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, that's a really difficult thing to wrap your brain around, uh, the Trinity. One God, he's one, but he's three persons who are each fully and equally God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, that's a hard concept to grasp. And, and, and in our finite minds, uh, we can find ourselves sort of kind of grasping at straws to try to seemingly understand what, what that means, what that means that God is Trinity. One, person, one God who, who exists as three persons. And, and for, for example, like in grasping at that, many people will sort of picture the Trinity like a pie chart, right? A pie chart, three equal pieces within the pie chart. But the, the whole chart itself represents the, the oneness of God. He's one God, but He's comprised of, of three equal pieces within that pie chart the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that are each their own slice. Of that pie chart, right? But they're joined together within the whole. One God, three persons. But verse 19, right here, makes us see that this is a faulty and inaccurate view of what the Godhead is. All the fullness of God dwells in the Son, Jesus Christ. Not part of all of the fullness of God. The, the pie chart understanding is, is completely incorrect. It's completely incorrect. All of the persons are equally and fully God. All of the attributes of God dwell fully in each person of the Godhead. Not a single attribute of God, not a, a single part of God. There's not a single part that is not in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, it's it's not that Jesus is fully God, but God is fully in Jesus. He's fully in Christ. Do you see the wonder of what this passage is declaring? Uh, The Bible leaves no room for some lesser understanding of, of who Jesus is. He's not just some good teacher. He's not a pillar of morality. He is God. He is God. But there's more. Because the passage also tells us that that even though he was God, verse 18, he was dead. The firstborn from the dead, the image of the invisible God, the beginningless creator and sustainer of all things, all the fullness of God, pleased to dwell in him, died. God truly became flesh and took on our nature, veiled in flesh the Godhead see. God became dead. There there is the wonder of the doctrine of the incarnation. God became flesh, real flesh, not a hologram, not not a vapor or a spirit from heaven, not an illusion, but real flesh that died a real death. The question we're left with is, how can someone become numb to this wonder? How can someone remain unaffected by the meaning of Christmas, the real meaning of Christmas? And the answer is, of course, the same way that you can become nose blind to the smells of your own house. Over time, that casual, unintentional familiarity that gets masked with all the holiday trappings, just sort of lets you filter it out. But, but I want to invite you to look on this text with intentionality today. To look at it with fresh open eyes, open hearts, and behold the wonder of, of the incarnation and what it means, what it demands of you. I want you to consider that if the baby in the manger was God, not just a great teacher, uh, not, not just some supernatural being, not just the first created thing, not, not a hologram from heaven, but God himself. If that baby was God, what difference should it make for you right here, right now? I want to give you three results it should certainly lead to. It should certainly lead to in your life. It should lead to a reordering, a surrendering, and a rejoicing, right? First, understand that Jesus is God demands a reordering. We should understand uh, what we mean here by reordering pretty well at this point in 2020. Our lives have been completely reordered by COVID-19, right? I mean, look around the room, right? And look around to the fact that who's not in the room and people who are joining us online, that you're, where you're gathering at church right now, right? Our lives have been completely reordered this year. Like, what it means to go to the office is vastly different for most of us these days, uh, education has been completely upended uh, by this pandemic as we kind of shift from online to hybrid to in-person to back online, back and forth, back and forth. Uh, the, the, the toil and the, the, the just the hardship that that's placed on teachers and students, all, all of them combined. Uh, our social lives look way different than they did before this pandemic. Uh, you know, like, it's, you know, before it's like you, you open your house and you invite everybody in the neighborhood and you're a saint. Now you're, you're you know, what are you doing, you fool? Uh, you know, our church, right, looks so different. So much of our lives has been reordered by this global pandemic that we're living through. But how much more should the beginningless creator coming down to be born and laid in a manger... Completely reorder our lives. It seems hard for probably many of us to picture right now, but COVID is not forever. COVID is not forever. COVID will not reign for all eternity. Can I get an amen? Right? In the grand scope of eternity, it will be but a blip on the timeline. Barely recognizable in the scope of eternity. Now, it's a rather unpleasant blip for us right now, but that's all it is. And it's completely reordered our lives. But Jesus is before all things. He is preeminent. In him, the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. His impact knows no bounds. He is eternal. He's not a blip. He's the entire timeline, beyond the the scope of the timeline. And he alone commands your eternal destiny. Because he is God in everything, he must have supremacy. I'm going to borrow an illustration from another pastor, but, but imagine you have a friend who's dying from a rare disease, and you take your friend to the doctor. The doctor, you're there with your friend, and the doctor tells your friend in front of you, you'll be dead in a week. If we do nothing, but I can cure you. But you need to know one thing if I give you the remedy, it it will keep you alive for the rest of your life, but you can never eat chocolate again. (laughs) You're excited, right? This is good news, you think, right? Isn't this great news? You say to your friend. And your friend says, No chocolate? Forget it. Forget it. You're like, Are you crazy? Is chocolate that great? Well, it's pretty great. But, but are you crazy? You have the offer of life, and you have to deny yourself chocolate, and you just throw it away. But this is what happens all the time when it comes to Jesus. People can recognize, I'm missing something in my life. I'm lacking something. I, I need something. And, and, and Jesus seems interesting, maybe even attractive to them. But wait, you're telling me I'm going to have to reorder my relationships? You're telling me I'm going to have to wait till I'm married to have sex? Forget it. You're telling me I'm going to have to submit myself to God's word and what He says about gender and sexuality? I'm out. The truth is, you cannot know and experience the fullness of knowing the one who is supreme over all if anything else is supreme for you. You can't. If anything else is supreme in your life, you cannot know him. You cannot experience the fullness of him. If Jesus is God, he can't just be another ornament that you hang on your Christmas tree. He cannot be just an accessory that you add to your life and continue go on to go on living in the same way you always have. Like a necklace or a pair of earrings or something. Jesus isn't a supplement. He's not a vitamin that you just add to your regimen. He can't just be your pal. It's all or nothing with Jesus. Do you understand? All or nothing. The manger and the cross demand it that you have your life reordered and centered on Him. Christmas demands that Jesus becomes the absolute center of your life, the absolute center of every aspect of your life, and everything else gets reordered around him and what he says, who he is, what he calls you to be and to do and to live for. Christmas demands that you say to him, Lord Jesus, I give you supremacy in every area of thinking, saying, and doing. I submit myself to anything that your word says. There is no place in my life, Lord Jesus, that I will say to you, don't touch that. That's a reordering. That's what it means to be a Christian. Because he is God, Jesus must reign over all of your life and his impact will be felt in every area of of your thinking, saying, and doing. Understanding Christmas results in reordering and thinking on what it meant for Jesus to come in the flesh also results in a life of surrendering. A life of surrendering. If Christmas means that God became man, that the word became flesh, it doesn't mean your life will be radically reordered if you just let him in at all, just a little bit. For that to happen, it means that you will be called to a life of surrendering. Not a moment, but a life of surrendering to him. Let me explain, right? In any great adventure story that we love, right, that the story begins with someone who is, in the, the beginning, in relative safety and security, right? They're in a place of relative safety and security, and they're suddenly called out of that into danger and peril, Frodo begins the journey toward Mordor to destroy the ring in the comforts of the Shire in relative safety and security. Luke Skywalker, right, suddenly pulled from his, like, boring space farmhand life into this galactic battle with the evil empire. But Christmas itself is the archetype of adventure stories. No one has ever left more safety or security than Jesus Christ when he chose to leave the comforts of heaven, the comforts of life, eternal life, within the loving fellowship of the triune Godhead to come and be born a human being. No one has left more safety and security. No one has ever faced the perils that Jesus faced. No one has ever braved the same kind of fiery storm that He braved for you. Jesus came to face all of God's justice for your sin in your place. He came to take the full cup of God's righteous wrath meant for you in your place. He paid the penalty. He left the comforts of heaven for that. For that. What does that mean for you and me? Well, it's sort of ironic when you think about it, like what Christmas has come to mean is the exact opposite of what it really means. You know, when we think about Christmas, we think warm and cozy, right? Christmas means warm and cozy. What's this year's gift exchange theme? Hint, it's not peril and danger, though that would be a fun gift exchange, probably, uh, to be at. Uh, No, the theme is always what? It's cozy Christmas, because Christmas is warm and cozy. The best non-hymn Christmas song, friends, is not up for debate, right? There is a right answer and a lot of wrong answers, but when I ask you the Outside of the hymns, right? What is the best Christmas song? The correct answer, friends, is The Christmas Song by Nat King Cole, right? That is the best Christmas song. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Jack Frost nipping at your nose. Right? That's cozy. It's cozy. We we are nostalgic for coziness at Christmas. Do you know what the manger means? It's the opposite of cozy, the complete opposite of cozy. The manger means dung, excrement, the smell of manure. It means scratchy hay instead of goose down feather pillows. The manger means rejection, it means suffering. It means that Jesus Christ was willing to leave all of the safety and security that he has always known in the Godhead, in heaven, for his great adventure of securing your rescue from sin and death. How can you understand that and then make it your your sole aim in life to have a nice, comfortable life with an extravagant collection of seashells? There's a great John Piper sermon to that, to that point. A Christian who grasps the true meaning of Christmas says, look what Jesus did for me. Look what he did for me. I want to serve him. I want to give. I want my life to count and make a difference. I want to see other people's lives changed. I want to be a part of the renewal that Jesus is bringing to this world. Is that your heartbeat? is that your heartbeat? If not, you're not listening to Christmas. You're not seeing it for what it truly is. It's a smell that you're not smelling anymore. It's a sound that you're not hearing anymore. Verse 18 says that Jesus is the head of the body, the church. That means that Jesus Christ's adventure isn't just an example for your adventure to follow. It means that to be a Christian is to enter into Christ's adventure. It is to enter into his story. It means that that you long to join Jesus in seeking to bring peace and reconciliation between people and God, between people and each other. To be a Christian is to see how Jesus willingly entered the mess of your world and your life to rescue you. And that moves you joyfully. Joyfully to enter into the mess of this world and the mess of other people's lives, that they might know the hope and the rescue that you have found in him. That's a joy that that can't be matched by any bank account balance, right? That's a meaning to life that that can't be uh, matched by any amount of cozy comfort. And the free grace of Jesus will move people of all income brackets This isn't shaming the rich here. The free grace of Jesus moves people of all income brackets to leverage their lives and their resources for the furthering of his kingdom and for the spreading of his peace. Friends, life is short. Some of us have painfully encountered that this year. Life is short but Jesus emptied himself of everything for you that you might seize the time that you have in your life to live for him, to live for his glory, to know his joy, to spread his joy to others who need to know him. Understanding Christmas results in a reordering and a life of surrendering. But understanding the wonder of Christmas also results in a life of rejoicing. What is it that motivated Jesus to leave the comfort of heaven for the cross, for the manger in the cross, for the humility of the manger, for the suffering of the cross? Hebrews 12, which we haven't gotten to yet. We're close. We will get there shortly after after Advent here. But, But Hebrews 12 tells us that it was for the joy that was set before him. For the joy that was set before him Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame. What does it tell us about the heart of God? That Jesus considered it joy to leave that comfortable place, to be born in such humble conditions, to to enter into such suffering beyond all comprehension. Jesus, in whom all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell, considered it joy to come and take on flesh. He considered it joy to be laid in a manger. He considered it joy to come in such a humble, lowly way. He endured the cross because his heart was fixed on joy. What was the joy? The joy for Jesus was rescuing you, rescuing his own, bringing you back to him. It was saving you and bringing you to himself that was his joy. And this means joy for you and me. Our joy is Jesus himself. He is our joy. Think about it like this. What joy would there be if Jesus was not God? What if he was just a great teacher? What if he was just an angel or some other supernatural being? What if he was just a hologram, right? This this kind of image from heaven. Oh, if he had been any of these things... There would be no joy. No joy. Because if anything less than God had come, there would be no rescue from sin. No rescue for us. No rescue from death and hell. Jesus had to be God in the flesh to accomplish our rescue. He had to be both fully God and fully man to accomplish that task, that goal, that mission. He had to be that in order to make peace by the blood of his cross. But here's the wondrous good news of the gospel. Jesus is God. He is God. He's our God. And in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, is pleased to dwell. And for the joy that was set before him, he did come in the flesh, born a man laid in a manger. He did live and die in our place making peace by the blood of his cross. He, did, he was raised victorious over sin and death. He did ascend into heaven where he is seated at the Father's right hand, and he is coming again to usher in the fullness of his kingdom and glory. Here's the reason for joy and unending rejoicing for you and for me. The very God that made you, that created you, The very God that you sinned against and offended has come down from heaven to take upon himself your nature that he might save you and bring you back to himself. If you will see him for who he is, if you will consider what he's done for you, he invites you to reorder your life, to surrender all to him that you might get him. That you might have him as your joy, that you might know him and enjoy him and his great and selfless love for you. What a joy it is to have Jesus, to know him, to live for him. Being laid in a manger, Jesus, he gives an invitation to anyone, to anyone who would come and enter into his joy. He wasn't born in a palace said only the elite of the elite would have access to him he was laid in a manger that anyone might be welcome anyone he invites you to come as you are to come as you are today not not go away from here and try to get your act together first no just as you are come come to him now and let him reorder your life For you. All you need to do is surrender and come. All you need to do is to see your need for Him and and, and, and to to let Him welcome you into into His joy. The manger means Jesus doesn't exclude anyone except for those who exclude themselves. Did you hear that? He doesn't exclude anyone except for those who, who exclude themselves. Friends, if if Jesus hasn't shut you out, don't shut yourself out. Don't say, oh, there's no grace for me. I've done too much. He doesn't shut you out. Don't shut yourself out. Consider him. Consider the manger, what it means. Consider the cross. See his heart for you and go to him. Surrender and find joy that will never end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that by your spirit you might enable us to see the true meaning of Christmas, that by your grace you might enable us to see your Son for who He is. May you move us from a life of selfishness to a reordered life of true and perfect freedom, from a life that move us to a life surrendered to you and under your service. Jesus, may your heart and your actions move us from grumbling into a life of true joy. Have your way with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.